This is the Simi Sarah Show On Demand. Subscribe now on iTunes. Listen to the show each weekday 10 to 2 on 980 CKNW and through the Radio Player app. Let's talk about the Trans Mountain Pipeline now. Certainly of keen interest in British Columbia next door in Alberta. The Western Premiers Conference going on uh, right now. Western Premiers meeting behind doors at this hour. You can bet they're probably talking about the Trans Mountain Pipeline at their meetings today. But let's talk about the project right now. Earlier this month, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau approved the Trans Mountain Pipeline expansion project again. He wants uh, construction to restart on the project. Let's talk to the guy in charge of it now, Ian Anderson. He is the president and CEO of Trans Mountain. He's in the studio. He's willing to take your phone calls on the show today. I'm very pleased to welcome him. Hi, welcome back to the show. Hi, Mike. Glad to be here. Thanks for coming in. So I'm curious about one thing. The project is is owned by the federal government now. So does that do you report to the federal government now? Like is Justin Trudeau your boss now, or how does that work? Well, maybe up the food chain, and at some point he is. But I've got an independent board that I report to. Um, the Minister of Finance appointed a top-notch board, so I've got a board of directors, and that's uh, that's who I work for and and take my direction from. What is the status of the project right now? Well, right now we're awaiting uh, the opportunity to restart. We've got some process to go through with the National Energy Board to reinstate the record as it was uh, last fall when the Federal Court of Appeal decision uh, halted the work. So we've got a bit of process to go through to reaffirm the root decisions that were made and the condition filings that we made. And we expect that process will take a number of weeks to get through. And uh, if it goes according to the plan as I see it anyway, we could be uh, back to work by uh, early to mid-September. Okay, I appreciate you've agreed to take some phone calls, so I'm going to read the phone line out right now, and we'll get our pipeline hotline going here. So if you want to have a word with Ian Anderson, President, CEO of the Trans Mountain Pipeline, here's your opportunity. So we'll open the phones right now. We'll line some calls up. 604-280-9898 is the number to call. 604-280-9898, star 9898 toll-free on your cell. You mentioned that you, you want to get construction going again. Is there is there a construction timetable or a schedule? We've got a few um, schedule scenarios that we've run. They're all really dependent upon how quickly the the current process with the NEB is going to take. Uh, you know, it, it's going to be subject to comments and people are going to have views on what the next steps need to be. The board of uh, the National Energy Board will need to, you know, review that and uh, determine, you know, the ultimate outcome. But, uh, like I said, we're we're working on a on a path for a September commencement, and if we get clearance for that in the coming weeks, uh, we could be in service and completed by uh, by mid twenty twenty two is the current plan. Okay, the project has been approved already, right? So, what what is the National Energy Board's role in the project right now? Well, as I said, there there was uh, a whole bunch of work done over the last couple of years to, as you know, we've got 156 conditions we have to satisfy. So right. we had dozens and dozens of filings in with the NEB that they approved, all of which effectively need to be reapproved and brought forward as as kind of the the current state to bring us back to where we were last August. I see. Okay. Um, there have been some. I've seen some photos and, and video online of pipeline being moved into place on on trains and that kind of thing are you guys is that your are those your pipes are you getting ready to put them in the ground is that is there, like is there some staging work going on already now to get yeah ready? in fact uh it, it that was our pipe that was uh filmed uh going through downtown calgary about a week or week and a half ago yeah. and that pipe was going from 
the Everaz facility in Regina on its way out to uh, one of our stock uh, pile locations in Kamloops. So we've got about a third of the pipe already in stockpile locations between Edmonton and the lower mainland, Kamloops being one of the locations. And um, all of that is pipe that was ordered back uh, a year, a year and a half ago that's now in production and and heading its way onto uh, site locations. Okay, if you did begin construction again in September, as you mentioned, where precisely would the work start? Well, the place we'll get started at first will be in the water at the Westridge uh, Dock Facility, which is where we were working, you know, quite uh, aggressively when we were uh, called down last uh, last fall. So we'll go back to uh, the water uh, to work on our dock facility. We'll also recommence work in Alberta, where we had started last August. So uh, between Edmonton and uh, and Jasper Park, there's locations there we'll go back to, and we'll probably get started in. Edmonton itself. We're, we're ready, fully permitted, and, and ready to go in Edmonton. So most of the work will be in and around our Westridge facility and, uh, in, a, and in the spreads in Alberta. Right, okay, right, in Burnaby. Uh, Westridge right? is in Burnaby, correct. Right, yeah. right. So you would start doing some work here. We, there have been mm-hmm. some trouble down there with protests and whatnot in the past there. Do you anticipate that if you restart construction, you'd once again have to be dealing with protesters? Uh, we we expect people to you know express their views and have their opinions and and kind of restate them publicly. I, we're we're anticipating there likely will be some protest activity. It's hard to to avoid you know the the commentary that you see that uh, uh, people's intentions. We're going to be focused on ensuring those work sites are safe, that the people are safe, that the facilities are protected, and that you know we just uh, hope for 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 peaceful protest and, and law abiding protest. Uh, we got a full board of calls right now, so if you get a busy signal, just wait a little bit and call back. 604-280-9898. Uh, let's go right to the phone calls here. Jan in Coquitlam, hi. Hello. Hi there, go ahead. Hi. Um, I was wondering, what kind of testing has there been done of, we have a heavy spill of the bitumen in the ocean, what kind of testing has been done and what percentage of the product has been can be extracted or cleaned up? Ian Anderson. Yeah, that's a good question, Jan. Um, there's been several rounds of study conducted both by ourselves, um, uh, Natural Resources Canada, uh, the Royal Academy of Science have all done progressively more detailed study around what we call the fate and the behavior of oil on water. Uh, We've tested various commodities from light oil to heavy oil. Uh, Diluted bitumen behaves essentially the same as any other heavy oil. Um, It behaves the same in in both uh, freshwater and salt water. And it floats, uh, and it floats for a good period of time, uh, as measured in, uh, in, in many hours into several days. The key is response capability and speed of response, uh, which is why we're investing $150 million in added response bases along the, the, the Sailor Sea uh, and, and the transit corridor of the vessels. We're adding 100 people and boats and equipment in those bases so that we can uh, get uh, access to an immediate um, uh, equipment on the water in the event of any incident. We haven't had an incident in 60 years. Uh, we're not expecting to have one, but we'll have the resources deployed quickly enough to, uh, to gather up uh, virtually all of the oil that uh, would be floating if an incident ever is it is it also not true though that under some very common marine conditions that the oil can the bitumen can sink 
if you've got, if you've got some rapids moving, if if it binds with a particulate matter in the in the water column, it can actually sink, right? If 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 there is um, turbidity in the water, if there is right. rapid water movement that's bringing up silt, and there are there are particulates in the water, uh, the oil can attach to that and and sink. Therefore, um, its speed of response uh, and its and it's all the preventative measures to ensure it doesn't happen in the first place. But we're we're well equipped to have state-of-the-art um, uh, response capabilities on the uh, on the coastline here in British Columbia so that we can respond uh, uh, within a couple of hours to any incident on any location. Let's go to Dave and Fanny Bay. Hi. Hi Dave. there, guys. Uh, um, yeah, I'd like to ask the guest, uh, maybe he could educate us about the dilutant. It's my understanding there's uh, a separate pipeline being built for that. What is the nature of that product and how uh, toxic is it? And do you, um, do you have to have a more rigorous pipeline for, for that uh, the delayed dilutant material? Ian Anderson. We've got an existing pipeline today that moves every type of uh, petroleum product, uh, everything from gasoline and diesel right up to heavy oil, including diluted bitumen. The new pipeline that we're constructing, uh, in large part in parallel with the existing, uh, will carry the heavier commodities in it, included diluted bitumen. Um, and uh, the the existing pipeline will move uh, the uh, the lighter products, being the, the light oil and the gasoline and diesel, to serve the, the market here in the lower mainland. I, I think he wanted to know about the dilutant, so the stuff that you mix the bitumen with to dilute it. Where do you where do you mix this stuff? Yeah, that occurs up in Edmonton before it enters our pipeline. Uh, our okay. producers have to deliver to us a product that is transportable in the pipeline. They take the heavier bitumen and they dilute it with uh, condensates and and the lighter ends of of uh, other oil commodities in order to create a new blend, which is called diluted bitumen, which is is really just heavy oil. It's no different than heavy oil once it is uh, once it is blended together. Let's go to Chris and Langley. Hi, Chris. How's it going? Good. Um, so you guys, obviously, that you're twinning the pipeline, and there's supposed to be safeties in place and everything to prevent spills in the whole nine yards. Now, while you're twinning that, does that mean you're going to be digging up the original line, checking for any weaknesses, and fixing that as preventative measures? We're not going to be actively uh, digging up the existing line while we're putting in the new line. Um, we run integrity tools through that existing line every year, about five or six different kinds of tools to check the integrity of, of the pipeline. We do, on average, um, I would say between 80 and 100 uh, digs of the pipeline every single year to test and to uh, correct if required any anomalies in the pipeline. And those could be small dents, they could be small uh, weld features, etc. But our integrity program on the existing line is is extensive. Um, that line has, uh, you know, been in, in very, very well-run, capable service for, for 60 years and its life is, is still indefinite. There will be some features that will come with the new pipeline that will benefit the existing pipeline. For example, we will be installing more valves uh, on the existing line than currently exist uh, or on the new line than currently exist on the old line. That will provide more segregation and more uh, valve closure capabilities. We'll also be installing high-tech, state-of-the-art leak detection um, uh, devices along the new line that will similarly benefit the uh, the existing line. So the existing line will benefit 
from the new line going in, but okay. it's it's not a uh, a place that we're going to be redigging the old line. We're, we we look at that every day. Six zero four two eight zero ninety eight ninety eight is the number. Erica in Richmond. Hi. Yes. Hi, Mr. Anderson. I am for the pipeline. However, I have some concerns, and uh, twinning the pipeline means probably doubling capacity, and this increase means how many more ships. Will they be collecting um, uh, this, this oil? Uh, are you going to be using larger ships? Because that means less ships. And in general, what are you doing to lessen the shipping impact on the oceanic environment? Very good questions, Erica. Thank you very much for them. Uh, we will. The capacity of the pipeline will be almost tripling uh, from 300,000 barrels a day up to almost 900. We will have the capacity to move um, upwards of 34, 35 ships per month. Uh, today, we have the capacity to move about uh, five or six. So there will be an increase in capacity availability for vessels. Um, and as I was saying earlier, we're investing um, $150 million in spill response capability. We're uh, working with the, uh, with the uh, Coast Guard and uh, Department of Transport for, as has been announced previously, increased um, large tug capabilities on the West Coast in order to be able to respond. We are increasing the... Um, tug escort uh, conditions around all vessels where they'll be escorted uh, farther and uh, further into the uh, into the, the Strait of Juan de Fuca. Okay. Uh, so there's a number of things. We're, we're training more pilots uh, for, for the increase in traffic. And the ships will be essentially the same size as they are today. Um, that's, the, uh, that's the commitment we've made to the port. So there won't be larger vessels. They'll be the same as they are today, but they'll be, as I said, hundreds of millions of dollars invested in tug capabilities, tug escort capabilities, and trained response. Okay. I thought the Aframax uh, tankers are larger. The they ones are, are being brought in. We, we load Aframax vessels today. We load okay. both Panamax and Aframax vessels. Uh, the Panamax vessels take about 350,000 barrels, and the Aframax will take up to about 550,000 barrels. Paul and Burnaby, hi. Hi, uh, Mr. Anderson. A couple of questions. Uh, my understanding is the diluted bitumen that you're going to be transporting through the new line is quite corrosive. Uh, how is that uh, going to affect the life of the new pipeline? And my second question is, uh, are there any current spills uh, that you guys have not cleaned up, like on people's properties with the existing pipeline? Ian Anderson. Dilutabitumin is not a corrosive substance. Um, it's just like any other oil. Uh, once that bitumen is diluted, um, uh, you know, there's a bit of myth that it still has sand in it from, from the oil sands. There's no sand in it. It's not more corrosive. It's not more uh, harmful to a pipeline than, than any other oil. Uh, to the second question of, of spills, uh, we are aware of one site. Uh, which is on the Coldwater Reserve that we've been trying to get the, the band there to agree to let us on to clean it up. It's a historical um, spill that occurred back in the early 70s. Uh, we came aware of it with some integrity work we were doing a couple of years ago. And it, it's not causing any harm to the groundwater uh, or to... Uh, the community. However, we do want to get in and, and get the, the band's agreement to get in to clean it up, and we haven't had the opportunity to, to get there yet with them. Uh, but there aren't any other locations where we're, we are aware of anything along the pipeline corridor. 
Let's go right back to your phone calls now. Steve in Port Coquitlam. Yes, Mr. Anderson. I was wondering, uh, major concern out here in British Columbia is rail service. I was just on the understanding, I read an article from CBC last week. In Alberta, you're shipping now from 168 barrels per day to 400, up, increasing it to 400,000. Is that going to be something that's going to be ongoing, or is that just now, or for the future? I just I wanted to know. I just wanted to hit no answer that question. That's uh, oil being moved by rail in Alberta. Is that going to be something that's going to be ongoing, yeah. or is that just now, okay. or Ian Anderson? For the future, I just, yeah, currently, um, oil by rail is uh, increased in Alberta quite significantly over the course of the last two or three years as essentially all of the pipeline access uh, filled up. Uh, so all the pipelines leaving Alberta are full um, as production naturally continues to grow by the tune of 102,000 barrels a day in, in the province. Much of that has found its way onto rail. Um, the market really dictates, uh, you know, production and rail movements. I think today, um, as new pipeline capacity comes on, whether it's our project or, or Enbridge's Line 3 or TC Energy's Keystone XL, that's going to reduce the amount of, of rail movements. But I don't think rail is going away. I think it is, is a fallback. Uh, it's about... Depending upon the market it's accessing, it's two to three times the cost of moving a barrel uh, on rail versus uh, through a pipeline. So it's much more costly to move it by rail, but it does provide producers flexibility. I don't think it's going away, but with more pipes, I think you'll certainly see less rail. Let's go to Andrew in Vancouver. Hi. There. Um, first, I, uh, as a pipeline opponent, I'd just like to thank Mr. Ian Anderson for, for speaking to the public like this. I think it's really important. Um, my question is two points. Uh, the first is with regards to the condensate that's in the, that they mix the bitumen with. Is that condensate removed in Vancouver and then sent back to be reused? And the other part of my question is he had mentioned virtually all the oil spilled on a marine spill could be recovered. And I would just like to ask if there's ever been uh, that he's aware of a large-scale marine spill um, anywhere where more than 20% of what was spilled was ever recovered. The only reason I would ask that is because sea conditions matter, and of course, out here on the West Coast, we have a lot of winds, turbulent seas, and that would impact greatly, I would think, the amount of uh, time available and the disbursement time that would happen between when recovery vessels would arrive and be cleaned up. Ian Anderson. Sure. Thanks, Andrew. And and to the first question, no, that condensate is not stripped out of the bitumen. It, it is moved as heavy oil, as diluted bitumen, um, as a as a single commodity. Uh, to the second question, you know, you're very right that 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 weather conditions, uh, sea conditions, are going to have an effect. Um, that's absolutely true. Uh, what we would say is the modeling that we've done under under predictable and and normal conditions, uh, albeit, you know, they, they can be uh, some rough seas at times. Uh, we believe that, that, that the science is telling us we can deploy equipment and have uh, an oil spill contained. And uh, I'm not sure that... Um, uh, Every spill is the same. They're all different, and all, they'll all have different circumstances. But our our testing is 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 telling us that with the added spill capacity we're we're deploying, we can um, 
effectively, you know, uh, capture, you know, the, the vast majority, if not 100% of what is uh, is leaked. I don't have really firsthand in-depth knowledge of other spills around the globe and what percentages have been cleaned up, I think is very geographically specific. And we've tailored our plan around this geography and these conditions yeah. to, to increase that response. I, I guess a specific question was, are you aware of any spill anywhere in which more than 20% of the oil was cleaned up? Are you aware? I, I don't. I don't have specific knowledge of the amounts that have have been right. captured under under spills. Or, you know that have occurred. What we do know is that the the incident of uh, spills around the world have decreased dramatically over the last couple of decades uh, post Valdez, when really shipping uh, changed fundamentally to different types of ships with different kinds of uh, of capabilities. Let's go to Glenn in Maple Ridge. Hi. Hey. Uh, yeah. I, I'm also very glad that you're on the phone. You're a you're a brave man, uh, but uh, I got a couple. It's a two-point question. Actually, the first point, or the first question, is a two-pointer. First and foremost, one of the arguments is that uh, uh, the the bitumen uh, is getting such a low cost because we have one customer selling it to the U.S. of A. alone, and they're discounting our our price. So, what what can Canada as a nation benefit as far as an increase in in in, in the in the price and in the and the revenue that the, the nation's going to get? And my second point on that question is, what is British Columbia post-construction of the pipeline? Once it starts flowing and going, what, how much revenue is projected for British Columbia once it's, the dust is settled and it's built? You know, are, is, is British Columbia going to benefit from okay. this? Okay. My second question, hang on. I'm, 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 I'm just going to leave you, just limit you to those two questions. Ian Anderson, go ahead. So to the first point, uh, Glenn, the the current discount of a Canadian barrel versus a global price is is anywhere from, you know, 14 to $15. That fluctuates over time depending upon market conditions. It peaked up to as high as... Thirty-five or forty dollars uh, late last year, and that's the the differential that producers are going to have access to if they can access global markets for their oil. Right now, it is heavily discounted, and those benefits of that higher price translate into um, higher royalties paid to the province of Alberta, uh, higher taxes paid by producers and uh, other suppliers, as well as uh, you know greater investment into uh, production in order to serve the market. Demand. As far as you know, what does BC get from this? Um, you know, we're going to have a peak of five, six thousand jobs, uh, workers on 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 the pipeline. Uh, post uh, pipeline completion, uh, we will double the amount of property taxes we pay in the communities in British Columbia. We will pay um, multiples of the existing taxes we pay to the province of British Columbia. We'll increase the GDP in the province by uh, tens of millions of dollars every year. We've committed to British Columbia to pay a minimum of 25 and up to $50 million per year uh, as, a, as a, an agreement we made with the previous Christy Clark government around the five conditions she had, and that's to go directly into environmental causes in British Columbia. So we think there are significant benefits. Uh, our website has great information on the amount of benefits both to Canada, Alberta, and British Columbia, if, uh, okay. if you care to look. Bob and Chilliwack. Well, regarding uh, uh, Asian-held leases in the oil sands, how much capacity do those leases require, shipping capacity? I'm not exactly sure. Uh, I know that PetroChina is a customer of ours. Uh, they move barrels uh, on our system today. 
those barrels aren't all destined back to uh, back to China. They they're a global participant and they move those barrels to 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 markets around the world. Um, they're a participant in our expansion. They've committed to capacity on the expansion. Uh, there aren't any other uh, Asian interests specifically who have contracted for capacity uh, on the pipeline. Uh, the amount of production that. Asian interests have in uh, in Alberta right now. Uh, I'm not sure I, I know exactly, but uh, it certainly is far from the majority. The vast majority of the production is coming from Canadian companies like CNRL and Suncor and Synovus would be the three largest players okay. who are Canadian. Bill in Vancouver. Yes, hi. Uh, I would just like to thank uh, Mr. Anderson for coming on radio. I wish more uh, leaders in business would just come on and just like, hey, let's just talk. Let's just talk. So kudos. Yeah, uh, number, number, uh, number two is, um, uh, I'm very pro pipeline. Um, I, and I also wish that, uh, um, the eco terrorists would face the maximum force of the law instead of the gutless RCMP. And also, um, it's, hey, what's it's your question? Terrible. What's your question? My question is, is um, how do we how do we as pro pipeliners like my you know to defend the pipeline? It's it's just for me. It's like do I want trains on rail dumping a train loads of uh, bitumen in the rivers, or should I just have a super nice tidy pipeline that brings it right to the shore and off you go and take care of it? Like it just is so illogical to me to not have, have a pipeline. Do you have, do you have a question for him? Yeah, I just want them to defend it. Well, like, what are all the pros of the pipeline versus rail and all the left-wing wacko eco-terrorists? Okay, all right. Ian Anderson. I appreciate the call, Bill, and, and thanks for your support. And, and I think what's important, you know, in, in the grand scheme of things is that um, there are lots of views and opinions, uh, some for, some against. We're seeing growing support as people, I think, become more informed of, of some of the facts and some of the information that's been available. We've seen that trend occur in British Columbia and across Canada as the profile of this pipeline has has increased. And I think it's important for all voices to be heard. And I think it's important, Bill, for your voice to be heard by your municipal officials, your provincial officials, um, and, your, and your friends and neighbors. Uh, there's, there's a lot of benefit that comes from the construction of this of this pipeline. The markets are there for the oil. Uh, it's going to be served by somebody, and our view is better served by good Canadian, um, you know, highly regulated, highly sustainable environmental uh, regulations uh, rather than some other places in the world. I know you got to go. Let's squeeze in one more. Clark and Burnaby, hi. Yeah, hello, Mr. Anderson. Uh, just, I have one question for you. Who who are you working for? I work for Trans Mountain Corporation, which is a crown corporation that's owned by um, the Canadian Economic Development uh, arm of government. Um, so we're we're separate and distinct from the crown. We're a crown corporation operating independently with an independent board that reports up effectively into the Minister of Finance. I, I just want to say, uh, Ian Anderson, uh, echo many of the callers on the line here today, including many who were opposed to the pipeline, all of whom said they appreciate your time and willingness to come on and take uh, any and all questions. So I would just echo that and thank you for coming on today. Let's, let's do it again. We come back and do it again, please? I most certainly will, Mike, any time. Okay. It's important to hear from British Columbians and British Columbians who care enough about this project from, from all sides. So I, I appreciate all of your listeners' interest.
Okay, cool. Thank you very much. That's Ian Anderson. He's the president and CEO of Trans Mountain Pipeline.